only appropriate that the heater just stopped. It's a, it's a little bit of a mini nirvana, kind of the release of that tension that we didn't even know was there, the little extra sound when it's gone, all of a sudden there's a kind of quietness, stillness, a cessation of distress. And I think it's very easy to underestimate that our awareness functions in, in a very similar way. Our awareness, when attention rises, it interrupts whatever stream of distress may have been going on. And it's a mini nirvana. And what do I mean by nirvana? Nirvana is any moment free of grasping, condemning, or delusion, confusion. So you may think we're just practicing present, mindful attention, goodwill, but we're practicing liberation, illumination the freeing, the unfurling of our heart, the, what the Buddha called the sure heart's release. And we do that a, a, little, a little bit, you get a little freedom. And you do it a lot, you get a lot of freedom. And of course, when we usually think of freedom, we think, of, we think in terms of freedom to move about, freedom to make decisions, Freedom to go where we want, when we want, do what we want to do. But the freedom that I'm referring to is the freedom of, of having our mind free of these preoccupations, fixations, our mind not being carried along by kind of unconsciously in a stream of dissatisfaction. And that that freedom it's amazing, but it's literally, as my friend Mark says, literally, he's English. It's literally a split second, a half breath away. And it is the closest, closest thing to us, but the most easily missed. And it is. And when I say it's the closest thing to us, what is the closest thing to us? What's even closer to us than our breath? It's this wakefulness and clarity, the consciousness through which you are perceiving. Given that this is State of the Union night, if you are in harmony with, in union with this ever-present, ever-available wakefulness and clarity, if you're in touch with this and you, you make it important, get used to it, stabilize it, don't ever be apart from it then you will inevitably be happier.
inevitably, you will be more simple, more boring to others, more exciting to yourself. <laughs> you won't be boring to others. <laughs> I always tell people that I'm really boring. Even though, you know, I'm, I can hang out. <laughs> That's funny, huh? <laughs> and just think about this. I can hang out. And if I am, because I'm, I've given some value to this state of aware presence, I've gotten to know that there are many gaps in my awareness. When I say gaps, I say, I'm speaking about, I'm not always just lost in thought. I'm not always thinking about the, what, ne what needs to be done or what I did before. I'm not always thinking about all the things that break my heart in the world. I think about those things and I'm informed by the things I think about, and sometimes I act on the things I think about, but I notice having been hanging out in the vicinity of you know, being aware for a number of years, whenever I can remember, I've noticed that there are gaps. And because I've hung out a little bit more, I've noticed that there's something about those gaps that uh, is very, that those gaps are very compelling. Because I notice that when I just hover a little bit in those spaces between my different things that I'm worried about or remembering, when I hang out in that space, everything seems to quiet down even more. My body, my parasympathetic nervous system seems to regulate. There's a quieting in my heart. It seems that I, I feel more alive. I, I feel brighter. I feel that I've just touched into what I often talk about as an exhaustible, inexhaustible resource called presence, called life, called beingness. And those moments I haven't traveled any distance. It didn't happen because I went somewhere. It didn't happen because I acquired something, accomplished something. It was the moments where I, my mind was free of its usual preoccupations. And when it is, it, it shows that it's that underlying that whole superficial domain of distress is a deep silence. And it's not me. It's 
everything. The substratum of everything that is noisy is silence. As Sri Nisargadatta, who I often quote here, he says, when, you, when your mind is momentarily free of its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. Now, I don't think it becomes quiet. I think it reveals its innate quiet. And he says, if you don't disturb that quiet and you stay in it, you'll discover that it's permeated with light and love that you, up until that point that you recognize that you've never known. But once you've tasted that, you'll never be the same person again. He acknowledges, as we all know for ourselves, that the unruly mind will break that vision and obliterate that peace but it's bound to return if the effort is sustained. And to me, the effort is just to remember what's always already available to us. To let this ever-present wakefulness and clarity and its intrinsic silence, let it follow us wherever we go. Because whenever you refer to it, it's there. You cannot, when you remember, you cannot not be aware. So you could, if you try to stop being aware, you'll see how primary this is to your nature. Stop it. Just try not to be aware. And to see that it's just available to you. Yet, we are also deeply trained at being absent-minded, at being absorbed in our preoccupations, in our stream of consciousness, in our thought streams, our stories, our constructions of time. We don't even realize that we're mostly living in a time trance. Our whole, mostly our description, the way that we're regarding ourselves is based on, on the story of ourselves. We're not often regarding ourselves as we actually are, which is extremely simple and, as I started with, boring. We are conscious, we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we sense things, we emote, we think, and as the Buddha said, that's all. No me, no you, no self at all, just this unfolding of simple sense experience. And mostly how we experience the world, and that's part of the creative richness of it, is in elaboration on these six experiences. Our life really comes down to these six experiences. But if I'm close to these, if I'm close to the simple sense experiences, maybe very simple, but it sure is exciting. It sure is exciting in that it's maybe not stimulating in our conventional sense of it, but it's very stimulating in that I feel alive. I feel like I was talking about in the sitting I'm in touch with reality. 
which is vital, which is so different from past and future, which are mental. And so once I'm in touch in that vicinity, and you are in the vicinity of, of what your actual experience is, what you actually are, before you can refer to your memory or your plans, you are, you are pure. You are enough. You are whole. You are free. You are awake. You are open-hearted. You are responsive. You are so much in real time, so much less limited than the, the little narrow view that's based only on your history or on your ideals or hopes or expectations. That creates such a little narrow world. And mostly that little narrow world is a narrow world of, of dissatisfaction. But yet that dissatisfaction seems to dissolve when we wake up to that simple wakefulness and clarity. Where is your dissatisfaction now? If you don't look back and you don't look ahead. What do you find in real time? So relief is really so available to you. Non-clinging, freedom, union, the state of your union is uh, really dependent on uh, how, how much of the time you spend in the vicinity of aware presence. And how much out of that aware presence comes its natural expression, which is kindness, caring. I've said, I was just leading a retreat at Spirit Rock, and I can't help but always say this, when I'm in the, when I'm a little more present, and I'm, now I'm present with you, you're filling up my awareness. I can't help but be into you. can't help but care about you. I can't help but be curious about you. Because there's less of me to obscure my vision. Now my vision is filled with what's alive and immediate. It's not in that little narrow world of, of self-consciousness or fear or confusion, at least in those moments that I'm present. Now, if I am present, I may still be visited by all those different, very unpleasant, challenging mind states of fear, of grief, of sadness, of a whole range of things. But if I'm in the vicinity, if awareness is in the vicinity of what that feeling is that may be showing up, a lot of people this time of the year grieve sadness. Christmas holidays loaded, hoping that the family experience would be different for once. But it wasn't. Sadness, 
for something that never, that, that I idealized, but it never shows up. Grief or fear, now that the year is over, once we've constructed that whole sense of time, like the, we don't, in real time, we don't know when the year ends and the next one begins. It's a little, it's a, a collective trance that we live in. But we build a, we build a sense of, oh, I got through that one. And now I'm about to embark on the next one and maybe I'll be happier this year. And then as soon as I think I may be happier this year, then I think of all the things I have to do to be happier this year, the things that have to go well, and then I get anxious, fearful, because my mind has already constructed a future that will never arrive. And I've missed the fact that time is really only and always right where I am. And so I wake up out of that into a, a feeling of anxiety and fear. So any of that can show up too. But if I meet that with awareness, that whole drama that I've just created in my mind about the great new year and all my resolutions. Sorry, maybe this is a good time to make resolutions. But, but instead of making all that real, I, I know, oh, I'm afraid right now. And, and then once awareness meets that experience of fear, or grief, or sadness, or whatever, it shows itself, every one of those feelings, as dreamlike, changing, transient, like weather. And I can rest in the middle of even the unpleasant experiences and not, um, not be bound. Still free, free to feel everything. Freedom doesn't mean deleting or getting rid of anything. This kind of practice of awakening is not a practice of deleting. It is a practice of, of waking up and shifting our relationship from simply being carried along, acting from our mental illness to being able to notice our mental illness. And be able to call it mental illness with more tongue-in-cheek rather than truly believing that we're mentally ill and defined by that. There's not one person here that can be defined by mental illness on present evidence. So how do you know you're mentally ill in real time? So living in harmony or in union, having your state of union be in harmony, well, central ingredient I found, happy to have found, and that's why I shout it from the hilltops, central navigator, central protection, central source, central tool, gift, is this ever-present wakefulness and clarity that you are. Sometimes it's called awareness. Sometimes it's called consciousness. Sometimes it's called, the expression of that is mindfulness, the capacity to clearly comprehend what it is that's happening in real time. 
That's number one. But that just makes it possible for us to see whether our life is, whether we are living our life in harmony with the way things actually unfold in our life. Now what the Buddha discovered about the way things unfold in life is that, pretty simple, if you, if you act in ways that are not kind, harmonious, skillful, wise, then what follows is all kinds of distress. All kinds of mental distress. We suffer if we've caused somebody harm with somebody uh, with our speech. We cause suffering for ourselves and others when we uh, cause harm with our sexuality. We cause ourselves and others distress when we take intoxicants to the point of carelessness and heedlessness. It's not rocket science. You can see that if you, if you are in harmony with the practice of harmlessness, you won't, there, there's a lot of distress that can be, that can be prevented. And we want to be able to take a very fresh look at how we are living our lives. Are we day to day establishing in our life, practicing harmlessness? It's very simple. It's universal. Are you, are you talking to yourself in a way that's harmful? Anybody here do that? I know. I know. Are you talking to others in a way that's harmful? Are you, are you, are you stealing in your life? Taking that which is not offered? If you do, you suffer for it. The good news is if you have awareness, you'll feel the effects of it. Are you a little, a little uncareful in your sensual relationships? Are you, do you, are you, do you engage in your, in your romantic, sexual, sensual world with the intention of having a mutual caring? Or is it to satisfy just your lust, greed in the mind, craving, can be such a stunning and beautiful thing, sexual union. But is, there, is it coming out of a, a wholesome intention? Or is it being driven by just what I want to happen? One way brings harm. Another brings what we call dukkha, mental suffering. It's up to each of us. Beautiful thing about mindful attention is that whatever we experience becomes the information that we use. We're informed by our actions of body and speech and mind, and hopefully if we have enough awareness there, 
we see this works, this doesn't work. So then it's not about adopting some kind of commandments or ten commandments or belief system. You know, so many religions are bound up in beliefs. This is about seeing for yourself, becoming wise. Not adopting any views. But seeing, okay, what happens when I am I acting wisely? Is my second part, is my am I day after day, what am I what seeds am I planting? Am I cultivating things that are helpful in my life, wholesome? Am I cultivating things that are the cause of harm? Am I addic what about addiction? Where are my addictions? Am I willing to acknowledge with full awareness that I'm addicted to this or that? And be informed by that. Feel the pain of it. Feel the slavery of it. Sorry to use that word. But feel the sense of being caught. Are you... Um, are you creating the inner and outer conditions for satisfaction, for, for contentment, for peace, for calm, for ease? Are you zooming through your life? You can see that with awareness. I, I brought along tonight the Rilke poem. And I think this is always good to think about at the beginning of the year, just the way we're zooming. We are the driving ones. Ah, but the step of time. Think of it as a dream in what forever remains. All, this, all that is hurry soon will be over with. Only what lasts can bring us to the truth. Young men and women, don't put your trust into the trials of flight, into the hot and quick. All things already rest, darkness and morning light, flower and book. So are we in harmony with nature? Nature moves medium to slow. <laughs> Isn't it true? I think part of the beauty of having a little time off is, what's the, we don't usually go faster when we time, have time off. We usually slow down. We start to listen to what our organism actually needs. We can put a lot more of that into our life. All this hurry. All this busyness. You know that Mary, or what's her name? Uh, Mary Krauss. Is that her name? Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Says, How are you? Busy. How was your week? Good. Busy. How was last week? Good. Busy. You name the question. Busy is the answer. I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things. Were cavemen this busy too? I've got ten caves to draw. Can I meet you by the fire next week? I can't meet you today. Too busy. So, they, so are we living in harmony with nature? How do we know that? We have to be informed by how wired we are. And as she says, that's partly because of, the, of, of, of coffee bars and their luscious byproduct, productivity. 
so much of our self-identity around getting stuff done. Then what? And then, then it's all, then life is over. I've gotten a lot done. <laughs> so then are we in harmony with the fact that we, um, with the facts of life, that all is hurrying and you're going to die? Is that how you want to spend your life? Is that how you want to spend the precious, precious, this precious human existence with this capacity that we have to connect so deeply with the life that we're given? The, the capacity to awaken our consciousness, to not just hurry ourselves, speed through life and miss this precious thing. Are we reflecting every day that, and in harmony with the fact that this doesn't last? That everything that you hold near and dear will go? It's really hard to accommodate that on one hand. But the only way to make that even slightly palatable is to sit in the middle of it. Is to step beyond life and death, which is what happens when you step into real time. You step beyond the one who has gone from the past, who's going to the future. That one that's related to your body and your mind will be, was born and will die. And we want to, we want to know that that one who we, that person will, will die. But the deepest part of yourself, you have the capacity to be deathless, to be free. Does this make sense? But it seems paradoxically that only those who understand the reality of sickness, old age, and death seem to be able to awaken. Otherwise, our life is a constant running from. As Jennifer Wellwood says in her poem, Dakini Speaks, I think we're close to running out of time, so I'll... She says, my friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully, like right human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal and shows us the real. This is the true ride, 
Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway. The cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Or just to finish the words of, of the great master Ashvagosa, Ashvagoshan, I think he's back in the, about 15 centuries ago. <laughs> he said, the Dharma of the Buddha does not require a person to go into homelessness or to resign from the world unless he or she feels called upon to do so. But the Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves from the illusion of myself, of self, to cleanse one's heart. That means to live wisely, non-harmingly, and to be present. To cleanse one's heart, to give up one's thirst for pleasure means really craving. It doesn't mean you stop enjoying pleasure, but not have your life so dependent on it. To cleanse one's heart, to give up one's thirst for pleasure and lead a life of harmlessness. And whatever people do, whether they remain in the world as artisans, merchants, officers of the king, or retire from the world and devote themselves to a life of meditation, let them put their whole heart into it. Let them be diligent and energetic. And if, like the lotus flower, which grows out of muddy water but remains untouched by the mud, they engage in life without cherishing envy or hatred. And if they live in the world not a life of self, but a life of truth, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will dwell in their hearts. So may this year be filled with joy, peace, and bliss. May you never be separated from this sacred happiness, this present wakefulness and clarity. And may your heart rest in equanimity, balance, union, so that there is less grasping, less aversion to things, to people, to situations near and far. May we all know the natural, great peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of our own hearts. May all beings be liberated. And may our practice today and every day, this year and every year, be dedicated to the welfare of all beings, including ourselves. Thanks for listening to the very thoughts for tonight. Uh, I um, 
so happy to be back with you and missed, missed this group and can't wait till next week. Anyway, but I'm not looking too far ahead. <laughs> anyway, thank you. And thanks for your generosity. We're here tonight because people have been generous in the past, and so let's keep the wheel rolling. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.